to talk about the Lord Jesus at the beginning of every part of my part. I want to talk about the Lord Jesus. Because sometimes we, uh, we minister on things that are uh, uh, certainly kingdom, certainly kingdom, whether it be finances or healing or uh, family or just the, the call on our lives. But I, I want to always start out with the Lord Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, we've been uh, looking at this particular verse for a long time. And I'm going to ask, uh, Eric, have you got that? Uh, verse, are you in the Passion Bible? New King James, that'll work great. Colossians, uh, let me see, one sixteen. Would you just bring that? Amen. Amen. That's King, New King James. Listen to this. We're going to go back a little earlier in, uh, in this is the Passion Bible. And, uh, I, I got, I got a big set for Christmas. So I'm, I'm enjoying this. Verse 12. Listen to this. Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us. This is what every holy believer is qualified to experience by living in the light. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved Son. Well, amen. For in the Son, all our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through the ransom price he paid his very blood. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, and the firstborn heir of all creation. For through the Son, everything was created. This is where it read. For through the Son, everything was created, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality, and authority, it was all created through him, and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, so now everything finds completion in him. He is the head of the body, which is the church, and since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in the resurrection, he must always be embraced as the most exalted one. Praise God, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is restored and brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Even though you were once distanced from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you holy, flawless, and restored. Praise be to his name. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. We give you this new week, certainly this day, and certainly this service. Lord, every thought, every breath, every inspiration, we, we go through you and we have none of our own. We thank you that everything has been put together for your glory, for your purpose, for your life. And we yield to you now as sons and daughters, 
bought with a price and not our own. And we give you praise. We ask you, Lord, as you strengthen us to help us always come back to your Lordship. And we give you that glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Hallelujah. Well, we're just going to talk about him more and more. Look to him more and more. The temptation is always, as, as people that love God, is to uh, get off on the how-tos and the, and the why-nots and all of that and get involved in the kingdom without being involved in him. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bible with me to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. We've been talking about the promise keeper. Can you say that with me? The promise keeper. Psalm 138. It's an amazing scripture. Uh, I believe the Lord is endeavoring to give us such a foundation that we are unshakable in the days to come. It's one thing to throw a lifeline in the midst of the storm when you're just about to go under and say, here, take this. It's another thing to learn how to swim. And I believe we ought to be able to backstroke <laughs> to, to, to delivery and take everybody with us. It says in one, Psalm 138, I'm in the King James. Um, we're going we're gonna to look at verse 2, and we're going to read it together. Let's see. Yeah, it's up, so let's just read the screen if you don't have that. Uh, ready? Read. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for your truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That's quite a statement to say your words are even as good or greater than you yourself are. Um, let's go to a Perry Mason scenario right here. Okay, you don't remember Perry Mason. Let's go to, uh, who was the next guy? Matlock. Okay, let's go to Matlock. I can't help you after that. I quit watching that stuff after that. But in the courtroom setting, when they say, I call a uh, uh, doodle dog up here to, uh, to, to testify, and so, you know, they come up there, and you know the, the deal. Would you place your hand, your left hand on the Bible, and raise your right hand and repeat after me? So, you know, and what it is is, uh, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Is that pretty close to what they say as far as TV land goes? Well, what, what, what we do when we come into the kingdom of God is we basically have no basis for believing or living or having an expectation apart from God keeping his word. As a matter of fact, all faith, all faith, listen to me, all faith is measured by our confidence in God keeping his word. You may say, well, it's this and I believe that, but really, if you want to rock the storm out of your life, if you want to take authority over the devil, if you want to get out of the natural realm and in, into the realm that God's promised, you have to have a confidence in God keeping his word. And everything else, the how-tos and the details and the, and the menu about, you know, I'd do this and I'd pray that, really is irrelevant if you can't stand the time test and the circumstance test of whether God's going to keep his word. 
And so I believe it's imperative that we as Christians that intend to not only go through every storm that's ahead, but to take many with us to lead the charge, to actually, uh, while the storm is raging, host a move of God in Alabama, that we would be qualified only to the extent that we had an assurance and a confidence that God always keeps his word. He's a promise keeper. And so we're going to go through the word for I don't know how long, just as long as it takes, as long as he uh, has us on there, and get a bedrock confidence that if God said it, it's like your mother saying it and better. <laughs> you know, when you're a little guy and you're, you're walking along, you're five years old or six years old, you know, Laura Beth's age or whatever, if your dad says something, you're good. If your dad says, we're going here later, or you can have this if you'll do that, it's gold. It's good. It's just for a little guy. Now, later, you may give him the, you know, the, the, the slanty eye, you know, like, well, you know, I don't know about that. But, but when you're little, boom. And even if he falls through, he's got some story, some scenario where he, he doubles it. Well, it didn't happen when I said, but we're going to double the offer and it'll happen. And you're happy all the time. We have to have that with God. If you're going to function and then, like Eric was talking about, going to be a winner, you got to have that inside. Not superficial, not optimistic, not, uh, not uh, uh, you know, yay Republicans, yay America, yay, you know, what? not political is what I'm saying, not financial. It's got to be on the Word of God. Lots of people had lots of money and lots of fame who are no more who are no more. We knew people that were famous, that were on the front row of everything in Alabama concerning the kingdom of God were just, boom, first place in every place. It was there laid out, just just could not, could not fail. And they're not even in business anymore. So we, we, we cannot depend on anything less than that. So back to God. So we're going to bring God to the witness stand. We're going to say, uh, yeah, we call God to the witness stand. And we say to God, we say, now, we're going to say, say this, uh, uh, God, uh, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And God says back, he says, I solemnly swear to tell the I am, the whole I am, and nothing but the I am, so help me me, because God is truth. So we're really asking him to, to swear on the Bible or the word, you know, that he'll keep his word, and we ought to give him, we ought to give him a walk and say, well, you are the truth. You can't tell anything but the truth. So just have a seat, Lord, and tell us what is truth. Um, Hebrews 6.13 says this, when God made promise to Abraham, listen, listen, because he could swear by no greater, what does it say? He swear by himself. Uh, and we've got to make a correlation. We're going to make a jump that all truth, all truth is God and God is all truth. We're bringing veracity to the word of God. The printed page is truth. Um. Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says, Better is he 
Better is it that thou shouldest not vow. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou sh- that thou shouldest vow and not pay. So we, you know how we say that in our culture is, is don't say it if you can't do it. Because if you say it, if you don't say it, it's better than if you say it and you don't do it. Um, now let's think about God being God and being the keeper of righteousness. If it's better to not say it than to say it and not do it, which is what we're really talking about. Now, you, Lord, you said, you said here. So if you're going to say it and not do it, it would be sin for you. According to your own word in Ecclesiastes, it's better not to say it than to say it, not do it. Well, when it says better there, it's talking about it's sin. It's not just preferable or convenient. It's saying it's wrong. And so God would be, uh, let's say, he's sinning if he gives his word in here and doesn't keep his word. I want us to hold the word to a higher standard. You know, we've been, when we don't understand things or when things don't go like we said that the word says, we give God a pass. We don't want to ever accuse God of not keeping his word, but that's exactly what's being painted in our head. He didn't do it. So instead of just saying he didn't do it or saying I didn't understand, we paint it another way and say, well, he, he understands more than we understand. Through God's great infinite, infinite wisdom, he didn't do what he said he would do, but he's... He's living by a higher law than even truth like we know it. He's got a heavenly truth, which means he doesn't have to keep our truth. He lives by this other truth, which means I know I said it, but and you can't understand why, but I'm not going to do what I said because I have infinite wisdom that you can't understand, and so you, I'm not going to keep the word. And you go, well, Lord, if you kind of like not keeping your word sometimes because you're so smart, why do we need this? We just got to erase all this stuff. We got to get to the bottom of how we really think inside instead of, oh, God keeps his word. Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. They just believe that the part about, well, if I confess my sins, he's going to take me to heaven. That's a convenient truth to believe since nobody's ever proven it's not true. Am I right there? Nobody's come back and said, I believed on the Lord Jesus with all my heart and I went straight to hell. It's not true. That would devastate everybody. I mean, if, if, you, if you could play it out. So we don't have that. And so the stuff we can prove, like prosperity, given it shall be given. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. If we can't prove the word that way, then how can we prove the, the word concerning salvation? And it's a lingering doubt in all Christians. And it keeps us from pressing into the supernatural and to the full kingdom scope, because he always keeps his word. Y'all say amen. He always keeps his word. And so if there's any contradiction, it's on our part. I know uh, they told the story about a woman that was at ORU uh, back at uh, when it was the medical uh, city of faith. And they said, you know, Aunt Susie here, 
she's a believer, and if anybody should be getting healed, Aunt Susie's the one. She's confessing the word, and she's, she's uh, you know, just the perfect Christian. But she was in this bed, terminal. And uh, they were lamenting that later and saying, you know, what happened? Because she died, and it just didn't work out. And, and she had faith. So they were disputing God's word, saying Susie was impeccably positioned. But then the caregiver spoke up and said, well, when everybody was out of the room, you ought to heard her talk about how, you know, I don't know, this is not working, God's, you know, it was a totally different scenario behind the scenes. There's always a reason when it appears God's word did not work. Always a reason. Can you say that with me? Always a reason. It's not God's word. There's something else going on. It's a mystery. Sherlock Holmes has got to come in and dig it out, but it's there. His word is perfect. So you got to know, you know, when you go lay hands on somebody that's sick, you got to know what's got to happen before they look up and you got to know what happened. You got to know when you give in the offering, I know what's going to happen based on the word. You got to know. You got to know. If we don't have that, we don't have much. So uh, because the wages of sin are death, God has to keep his word. He has to keep his word because he said, I keep my word, and he's not a liar. If he's a liar, then he has to die. God cannot exist in his present form and not keep his word. It's not that he can't lie, although he can't lie. He won't lie because he can't lie. The reason he can't lie is it's not based on what he does. It's based on who he is. The word says in... uh, well, let me, let me look at this same verse we just looked at first in the Amplified. It says, You have exalted all above all else your name and your word, and you have magnified your word above all your name. That's powerful. I don't know how else you could say it more powerfully than God's saying, I only got two things. I got my name and my word, and my word is even above my name, and my name is above everything. Uh, the TEV, the, 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 the English version, says, You have shown that your name and your commands are supreme. The NLT, New Living, says, For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. The Passion Version says, for the promises of your word and the fame of your name have been magnified above all else. That's from God's side. You just have to say it's not unclear. It's pretty crystal. He says he keeps his word. Your experience may be different, and the testimony and report of others may be different, but God is saying, I keep my word. Where does it say that to let let God let God be true and every man a liar concerning God's word? He says, I keep it. And whether it's spoken overtly or whether it's thought inwardly, every accusation against God keeping his word is false. When you said, you know, 
He didn't do what he said he'd do. There's a story behind it. And he kept his word. Turn with me to John 8, if you would. We're going we're gonna to pull this together here. God doesn't keep his word because he chooses. It's not what he chooses to do or doesn't do. It's based on who he is. We would say in, in, in biology, and I know this isn't true in the plant kingdom and every part of the animal kingdom, there's, I've read about it, but, and there's seahorses that do it different. I don't know all the thing. But as far as the higher genus and species, we have, we have the female has the baby. And we just pretty much know if it's a man, he didn't have the kid. I mean, I know in our society, it's weird as it can be right now. But that's the way it's always been. Is the, the girls have the babies. And so it's not like they choose to have the babies. And the guy says, you know, I got this job and I got this project. If you could have the baby, you know, we could work things out. And, and then, you know, maybe I'll have it next time. It's impossible. It's not, it's not, it's, it's the way it is. He doesn't have the baby because that's not who he is. And she has it because that's who she is, not based on what you choose. Well, God cannot tell a lie, not based on choosing, but because that's who he is. There's no lie in him to speak. In John 8, 44, it says the devil, let me find it here because I shortened it. 844, we looked at this last week. It says, you are of your father, the devil, speaking to these unborn again religious folks, and the less of your father ye will do. So that tells you that everybody that's not born again is of the father, the devil. They were brought forth by the devil. And it says he was a murderer. So steal, kill, and destroy is one verse that comes up. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because, look right there, there is no truth in him. Say it with me. There is no truth in him. The Lord Jesus said there is no truth in the devil. It's not that he chooses not to speak the truth. He cannot speak the truth. There is no truth in him. There is no Slovenia language in me. There is no Slovenia. There is no, what else could there be? Philippi not Philippine, but there's no any of that in me. I, there, it cannot come forth because there's none in me. And there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, okay, here it is. He speaketh of his own, for he is a liar. Please note the distinction. It's not he tells lies. He is a liar and the father of it. So right there, you can tell when people are telling you something that's not true, where it's coming from. And it doesn't matter how, what you're, you're standing in a church or it's during high praise and it's during the reading of the word. If they lie, it's of the devil. It's of that unrenewed, unchanged part. 
and it can't it cannot be denied. So uh, in chapter 15, look in chapter 15 right there of John. I know you know this. I'm not insulting you by telling you things that are basic and foundational. But if it's only that you know it in your mind, if you only know it from a knowledge side, an ascent side, then you will not be able to win the battle when the devil brings the lie that you didn't get healed. They prayed for you, but you didn't get healed. It didn't happen. Something and then you're condemned, you, uh, you think these people aren't able, you think God's got an opinion, you go into all this instead of just knowing. If it's a promise in the word, something happened from heaven. The kingdom is absolute. You're not born again till you're born again. You're not sort of born again, and half of you goes into heaven. It's absolute. When, when, when someone goes to hell, because they did not have the Lord Jesus. It was always righteous. It wasn't that God had a beef with them or their grandpa was, 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 a, was a rum runner or whatever. It was a totally righteous action because he's truth. Oh, praise God. Uh, John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, so Jesus was talking about Holy Spirit coming, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father. So here we have God, Jesus saying God is truth, and he's going to spend, send the Spirit, uh, his Spirit to you, saying he shall testify me, he will tell the truth about me, because he is the Spirit of truth from the Father. It's pretty clear. Um, Titus 1-2, don't go there, but the Bible simply says God cannot lie. Cannot lie. It's not like something he says, you know, it's better for me to keep everything lined up if I don't lie, or it's convenient to get everything uh, uh, on the same page. The Bible says he cannot lie. The Word says that he cannot remember things that are under the blood. Not that he just says, you know, let's just not, let's just move on from that. And when you go to confess something that's already been under the blood and say, you know, Lord, I'm sorry I did that, and it's already been dealt with and it's under the blood, the Bible says he cannot remember it. It's a, it's a very unique attribute about somebody that can do anything not being able to do something. It says he cannot lie. Why is that? Because there's nothing but truth in him. There is no lie in him. It's impossible. You can take an electric fan and pour gasoline all over it, and it will never turn. On the other hand, you can <laughs> you put that same gasoline in the car, and you can go to town. And it's just impossible for that gasoline to make that fan work, even though it makes this other thing work. It's just impossible. Look with me to Numbers 23. I'm pretty pumped about this series. I'm pretty pumped about where the Lord's taking us, by having us established in this. You can tell where the Lord's taking us by what he's making us strong in. We're going to be confronted with some pretty challenging things that only an unwavering stance about truth are going to be able to take us through. There's stuff coming that if you waver, it'll run over you. It'll flatten you out, and it'll just you'll be just like the religious folks that say, it doesn't happen, it can't happen, it won't happen. You'll be no different saying, I believe it'll happen, but not being able to stand the test of time 
or the test of the bad report. And the Lord wants to raise up a people that just that's not just army strong, but Jesus strong that says, if we find it in the word, we're unmovable. What a life that would be. It says in Numbers chapter 23, look at this verse. What would you look for in chapter 23? Uh, in Numbers, anywhere that you'd say, that's good. Verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. Right there, it tells you about man. Just what Jesus said. Neither the son of man that he should repent or change his mind is what repent means. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? That's our verse right there. Hath he said, then he'll do it. Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God's on the line. God is on the line. Let's put God on the line. Let's quit taking the hit for him and saying, you know, he's got a different set of rules when it's really tough. And there's people here that couldn't handle it, or there's something here that's behind the scenes or whatever, and so God couldn't tell the truth. Listen, when a believer like you and me steps up and invokes the promise in the name of Jesus, things are going to move. But you got to believe it before you see it. Could I have a better amen? you got to believe it before you see it. This is not tryout. Faith is not trying out. This is where the Christian church has been. We've been trying out. Let's see if God will keep his word. And I'm telling you, God is not impressed to bring anything to bear. As a matter of fact, um, what does it say in Psalm 1? I wrote it down. Um, the ungodly. God pays no attention to the ungodly. Remember in Psalm 1, it says, uh, I've, I've lost how it starts, Psalm 1, but I'm on it now. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. God pays no attention to the ungodly. He is not demonstrating anything for the ungodly to impress them, nor standeth in the way of sinners. He always keeps his word, but he does not demonstrate his word to the unbeliever. Or, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He pays no attention to the ungodly, the sinner, or the scornful. But he will meet every test of the believer, his word to the believer. He will perform every one of his words, but he is not impressing the sinner. In other words, his word says, by his stripes ye were healed, and that is universal. That's everybody that's ever been born. That is the legal right of all of us. But to receive it, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to have faith. Someone's going to have to believe that's the truth. So when they come into the healing center, if they don't believe, we do. I said we do. We can pull the faith trigger. We believe God keeps his word, whether they do or not. Had a man this week, I, he was telling me about his son and saying how terrible his condition was, and I said, you ought to come. And he said, well, you know, he's got to believe. And that's where most people are. He, does, he would not have to believe for that to happen. So God keeps his word even if nobody believes. Listen to that. 
if nobody's believing, he will still keep his. In other words, it's not a license for him to lie because nobody knows if he's telling the truth or not. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, if you would, just for a minute. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 11. Did y'all want some fire and brimstone? We could whoop up some this morning. <laughs> Turn or burn. Get right or get left. We could, <laughs> we could put some condemnation out there and say, you sorry thing. You know you can't be. You know God doesn't like you. You know you can't be on his side. No, that's not what we're doing here. It says, but in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I want to break this down, because it says you got to have faith for God to be happy. The word without faith means without conviction. Would you say that word with me? Conviction. A conviction is not a preference. We all prefer to believe. We all prefer for God to do what he said. But a conviction is is an untenable position. It cannot move. A conviction is what we all have about heaven. Everybody in this room has a conviction about heaven, even though you've never talked to anyone that has been there and come back or had any evidence to that, to that end. We have a conviction based on something that's unseen, only written and spoken, but unseen. And uh, it says without this conviction, you can't please God or without a persuasion or without a confidence. The word really goes back to the word fidelity or integrity, which means it's the same all the way through. You know, a long time ago, they had silver quarters, silver half dollars, and you could turn them on their edge and it was silver all the way around. And then they came out, I remember. Uh, when the Kennedy quarters came out and you looked on the side and there was a copper band in there and something else. They did not have integrity. It was not the same all the way through. We have to go where we say God's word. I have a conviction. His word is the same all the way through. It says without faith, it is impossible. What does that word mean? The word means weak. It means impotent. It means without power and it means unable to finish. Without faith, it is impossible. You may can start out with God to move the mountain, but you can't finish it without faith. You can say, look, God, I've been your man for years, and I, I pay tithes, and I pray, and I, I do. I go the long way, Lord. Uh, we had a family member years and years ago that was just struck by a diagnosis of cancer in her hip, and her argument was, I mean, it came out one time, was, God, why is this happening to me? I'm a soul winner. And you can see there that there's, you, you can go a ways with God as a soul winner, at least in your mind, but without a conviction, a persuasion, an a, 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 a unmoved knowing, you can't get to the end of it. You can't finish it. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. The word there is to come into agreement. You can't come into agreement with God without faith. In other words, it's like someone making their case without the facts. You see that in courtrooms all the time where they like, yeah, I know, I know you, what you're saying, Mr. Uh, uh, prosecutor, but 
he he was raised in bad conditions and he was kicked around and you know and it gets off the subject you don't come into agreement well but he broke the law we have a lot of that in our government right now so it's impossible to please him to become into agreement with him for he that cometh now this word cometh is interesting it means to approach with the intent to speak so I'm thinking of a king sitting on his throne, and um, I've seen several movies where there's uh, like foreign uh, kings, and they're coached by the natives there, or the, the, the court people, of how to approach the king. That you go so many steps and you bow, and then you, you get up and you go a few more steps, and then you come to your knees. And then you, you know, and they say, this is how you approach our monarch, our king, our sovereign. This is especially true in Japan and Oriental nations that are different than the Western. Well, the Bible says, he who cometh to God, it means the intent to approach with the intent to speak, to fellowship, or to worship. So we can't even worship God without faith, without a conviction that you are God. Y'all know anybody that's dancing around and crazy-eyed and just but but doesn't have any faith for anything, might not even be born again, but they're carried away with the music or the atmosphere. And listen, if you got faith, these atmospheres can bring you in. But if you don't have faith, you're just a you're just a groupie. <laughs> you know, and listen, I've heard some un some un, some words on songs uh, you hear them sometimes on the radio, and you go, that is a great music. That is awesome. But the words are totally unbelief. <laughs> Lord, you put sickness on me to teach me a lesson, and it just goes, that's a great, uh, what do you call it, the, the chorus or whatever. But the lyrics are unbelief. So you have to, to even approach him in worship. you got to be in faith. And then it says, must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. Now, this word rewarder is interesting. It, it's an employment word. It means that a man, uh, it's speaking of this rewarder, he pays what he agreed to pay. You say, I'll, I'll, I, I'll pay $8 an hour and you work three hours. I'll pay you $24. That's what the word means, that God pays what's fair, what's righteous, and what's just. He binds himself to compensate. So when we are born again and we come to God in faith, he said, faith has a reward, and I pay justly. Now, this comes into play when we do things in secret, when we do things that nobody's around. We just do the right thing. Y'all ever done the right thing? And nobody said, boy." Yeah, we got, some, we got some reward for that. When we do things that are as unto the Lord, even our giving, you know, you go into a place and you just give. Nobody knows what that $10 meant. could be your last $10. Have you ever given your last $10? I have. It was like, actually, Lord, I need to be at the bank before this check hits the church. <laughs> and nobody knows. Nobody knows that you are, you are suffering in your faith in the sense of, Lord, I am convicted to do this. I am in. But everybody else at the, at the church is just looking, you know, $20, $5, $10. It just goes through. But God is moved by that $10. He's a rewarder. 
Now I want to go back in this verse 6, and there's a little part that I left out there that it says, must believe that he is. Do y'all see that? It's kind of a hanging, it's kind of a hanging verb there. Must believe that he is. And it always begs you to say, is what? What does it mean that we must believe that he is? First of all, it means that we must believe that he's God. But the kind of God that are all over the world in demon uh, manifestations is not our God. Our God is not Allah. He's a false God. He's a demon God. Absolutely a demon God. But, so we don't believe God is. W to believe that he is is to believe that he's the God, listen, that he says he is. This verse or this, this fragment of a verse is tied to the whole Bible. He who comes to God must believe that he is everything the word says about him. He's a healer. He's a provider. He's a protector. He keeps his word. Must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of that man, that woman that believes that he is who he says he is. It's settled. And if you say, you know, I don't really believe he's that God. I, I believe healing passed away then you don't have faith because you don't believe that he is who he says he is. You believe who he is, who you want him to be. And it's not going to get it. So in don't go there, but in James 1.17, it says this, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. What does it say? In whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. The New Living says he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Isn't it amazing that this, I don't know how many pages are in yours. Let's see. I'll look real quick. There's right at 1,100 pages in mine, and there's no contradiction. The Bible was written over 1,600 years by how many men? 40? At least 40 men wrote the Bible over 15 or 1,600 years, 1,000 pages, 1,100, and there's no contradiction. Now, there are some sticky spots that are cultural and that are, uh, are personality-driven, but they all work out. I mean, you don't have to compromise any of them. You just have to know the, uh, the, the time setting and the culture that they were spoken in. The Passion says who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. Never subject to change. Say it with me. Never subject to change. He's not moody. He's not looking at different seasons and times. He's not looking at Muslims and Islam and how that is and saying, we got to change something here. He's the same all the way through. I want to tell you all, it's a privilege to be a Christian. There's a lot to believe, but then he comes and says, I'm going to put in you at the new birth the equipment that it takes to believe. My, my computer has a CD, DVD player in it, and so I don't have to get something else. I just take my computer and put the disc in it, and it does it. And inside of you and me, born again, regenerated child of God is in me the ability to believe God is who he says he is. I have to import something contradictory. The old man, the unrenewed mind, I have to import that and elevate it to, 
to a place of unbelief, uh, to a place of, of equality with my spirit to say the word's not true. You have to train yourself against God's word to not believe it. I want you to turn with, turn me, with me to Psalm 91, and we're going to read Psalm 91 together. And I want to show you something that happens when you read a verse like Psalm 91. Why are people disappointed or tempted to be disappointed in their faith? Why do that, like that woman that didn't get healed at Oral Roberts, or why do people that, that say, I'm, they're embarrassed for one thing, but I'm standing on God's word. And then the doctor says, you know, this thing got worse. This thing's no, <laughs> y'all prayed yesterday? Well, that's when we noticed this thing just went into a tailspin. Why are people tempted to be disappointed about it? Well, one thing they don't know for sure, they don't know the word yet. They haven't put it in, in the distributable place. But I speculate, and that's what it is, that every disappointment concerning our faith is because we had an Ishmael in our back pocket. Do you all know what an Ishmael in your back pocket is? It's called Plan B. It's called, I believe and I want God to do right, but I just have one life here on the line. And I don't understand everything that's going on. And if he can't make it happen for some reason, and I'll even take the blame that, you know, I hadn't been as good as I could be. And, you know, I was a soul winner, but that didn't count. I got an Ishmael back there. I got a plan B. I, I, I started my hospitalization insurance back up last week, and they don't know about this little thing I'm in, and it's going to. There's always a plan B when stuff doesn't work out. Always a plan B. It's on us. There's, there's, we're ashamed of what we've done. We don't believe the blood cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We don't believe it's as if we've never sinned. That plays. Y'all know what I'm talking about, that that plays? Uh, we, have a, uh, we have sermons that we've had play in our head. We have an unworthiness that just says this is too good to be true. This new birth business is too good for me. For some Christians like Billy Graham, it was probably good, but for me, it can't be that good. And so if God withholds healing from me, really, I deserve it. It's called an Ishmael in your pocket. Giving God the right to get off the hook of keeping his work. And we got to know, bless God, I am blood-bought. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. I am the righteousness of God. If Jesus is righteous, I am, and as he is, so am I in this world. If his word is true to anybody, it's true to me. You got to get a little bit, you know, out there. You got to get a little bit like I'm someone special, and I know it. And if you see somebody that's backed off and doesn't press their faith, and doesn't search the word, and is not, not incensed when they get a doctor's report that says, you know, you're not doing better, is not just indignant and says, that is not true, that will not play out in my life. you got to have that. And if you don't, then you know it reveals there's a reservation in your faith that says, you know, I kind of expected that because... I went through a rough patch, and, you know, I've kind of been backslid, and, you know, and so I accept it, God. It is my punishment. 
and I deserve not to have your very, very best. So, Lord, if you could just get me through this and somehow, somehow just let me survive. You go into a scenario of plan B, and it never works out well. Can I be so bold to tell the truth this morning? Because that's exactly what we've all dealt with. I wrote down this, and then we'll read our scripture. It's the truth that when you believe the word, you have trusted God for your life. Because the devil's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so when you trust God, when you trust, when you engage the word, I believe the word, you have trusted God for your life. Trust. Doesn't mean you're smart, doesn't mean you're theological, it doesn't mean you're even very spiritual. But you just trust like that four-year-old, like Laura Beth, just looks at his, her mama, looks at her daddy and says, I just heard the truth. We're getting a cookie after supper. If I eat my, if I eat my macaroni, we're getting cookies. You know, we better go next door and get a cookie. If we're out of cookies, we better, we better find a cookie to keep that word. Let's read Psalm 91 together. I want you to notice something that's going to happen when we read it. Is it on? Good. We can read King James if you're not in that. Let's just read it through and let something happen to your heart when you read this scripture. Ready? Read. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and receive the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample underfoot. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him, and with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, if you read that with expectation to believe, not a, not a thing that says, okay, God, this is a magic chant. 
and I'm going to say this three times and hope that you hear me saying it and do something about my situation. If you do it with an expectation to believe, I'm telling you right here in this room this morning, something rose up strong inside of you. There was an ability that was kindled. It's already in us, but that was kindled and enhanced and brought forth that says, I believe the promises. He's a rewarder of them that believe that he is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And you actually are stronger in that four and a half minutes that we spoke. You're stronger than before you were when we came in. Praise God. We're on it. Amen. We're going to fall in love with the word again, and we're going to fall in love with the promises. The promises are where we're going to live this year. We're going to live in the promises. We're going to live in the promises. We're going to live in the promises. And I'll tell you what's cool is that God wants someone to live in his promises so he can demonstrate the promises. It'll be his greatest testimony to this city if somebody in this city finds you standing on the promises. I was telling uh, somebody yesterday, I said that, uh, that like Eric and Anita and others, but specific, specifically them, go into Lowe's and find somebody coming in limping or with a cane or, you know, with a shoulder or whatever, and just going over there and without a thought that it couldn't happen, ministering to them and them going, wow, what did you do? My shoulder, my leg. And then I was telling them that actually these people would walk out holding their cane. We have all this stuff written down, and you've done it all too, but I'm talking about no doubt that God wouldn't do it out there. But it seems to be more challenging for us to believe it for ourselves because of we know who we are and what we've done. and <laughs> we, It's harder for us to get past condemnation and guilt and shame than it is for us to extend the grace of God to others. And we're going to change that this year by the Word of God. We're going to just like... It's like I never sinned. Amen. All right, let's stand up. Praise God. Oh, I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about what God will do when we talk about His Word. Amen. There's a, there's a knock on the door. The Lord has got an opportunity. He's got a door He wants to open for your life this year that's amazing. And we're going to take a turn Right now, in our heart, we're going to take a turn to open that door. It's a real small knock. It's almost indiscernible. You can barely hear it. And, Lord, we're hearing a lot of stuff, a lot, a lot of stuff on our lives. But we hear that little knock saying, open the door to me, and everything will be turned to right. Lord, we ask you to, hallelujah, keep knocking. Don't give up on us, Lord. Keep knocking because we are going to open that door into the fullness of your promises for us. And I give you thanks for this great church fulfilling its destiny and call in this year and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.